Wonderful. Well, as uh, folks are coming back in, uh, so you have your handout for the second talk there in the, in the booklet, and so I will try to follow along uh, with that. Our first uh, talk this morning was under that uh, heading, uh, for, whom, for Whom Do We Live? And so our second uh, time together, uh, kind of our theme is In Whom Do You Delight? Uh, in Whom Do You Delight is our, our theme that we're going to be looking at. Um, but I thought, um, yeah, it's just great to, uh, great to consider together Christian family this week and parenting and how important it is for parents to have an influence for good on their children and uh, we can all be thankful for uh, what we've learned from our mothers and fathers for instance growing up uh, my dad always had wonderful words of wisdom that I'd like to think that I've taken to heart you know I haven't always been a pastor as you've heard growing up my dad told me uh, you know I should make little things count and uh, so I taught math to three-year-olds and um, yeah, there you go, there you go. Um, but uh, if we would all learn such wisdom from our parents, right, we would do <laughs> well. <laughs> I don't think my teenagers, okay, good, my teenagers didn't hear me do that, so yeah, good. Uh, all right, so were you listening to uh, Pastor Lim earlier this week? I trust uh, you were. And uh, so here we have a, um, perhaps a book you're familiar with, a devotions based on the Shorter Catechism, Training Hearts, Teaching Minds for, for Parents. Uh, and again, for parents, this is a multiple choice, so please, and please raise your hand when you think you know the answer. Uh, so what is uh, Pastor Lim's uh, real first name? Okay, hold on, no, no, it's multiple choice, all right? So is it Jason? As, as printed in the front of our uh, program. Is it Xavier, which is my personal favorite? Uh, is it Peter, uh, or is it James? All right, yes, Stephanie. James, you're right. Although, I, again, I like Xavier. I like Xavier, but there you go. And for our grandparents, again, uh, for our grandparents, this one's a little more tricky for our grandparents. This is not multiple choice. Um, what uh, article of his wardrobe did Pastor Lim have a malfunction with? Uh, I, well, I see you first, Mr. Crum, Pastor Crum. His dress shirt. His dress shirt, yes. Very good. You want to get it later? I can just leave it here for you. Oh, sorry. Right. Good point. Good point. We need to remember that. Uh, so our, uh, our second talk is In Whom Do You Delight? We're going to be thinking together about worship and service in Christ's church as we think about living as God's people, worship and service in Christ's church. And uh, let's pray together, and then we're going to be turning to Isaiah 58. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for our, our break, that uh, we can again refresh ourselves, that we can stand and, um, Lord, uh, speak to others, encourage one another. And Lord, we thank you then again this morning that you've given us a, a special time 
uh, to devote uh, to you and to thinking on the things of your word. Lord, for our growth in grace, <clears throat> for our good, and for your glory. And so as we think, Lord, about worship and service uh, in your church, Lord, we pray that uh, you would help us, that you'd direct us by your Holy Spirit, uh, that we'd be encouraged. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your scripture open, if you would turn, please, to Isaiah 58, and we'll read the 14 verses uh, of that chapter. Uh, Isaiah 58. This is God's word. Cry loudly, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet, and declare to my people their transgression, and to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me day by day, and delight to know my ways, as a nation that has done righteousness, and has not forsaken the ordinance of their God. They ask me for just decisions, they delight in the nearness of God, why have we fasted and you have not seen? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Behold, on the day of your fast you find your desire and drive hard all your workers. Behold, you fast for contention and strife and to strike with a wicked fist. You do not fast like you do today to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast like this which I choose, a day for a man to humble himself? Is it for bowing one's head like a reed, and for spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed? Will you call this a fast, even an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast which I choose? To loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house, when you see the naked to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light will break out like the dawn, and your recovery will speedily spring forth, and your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you'll call, and the Lord will answer. You'll cry, and he'll say, Here I am. If you remove the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, and if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness, and your gloom will become like midday. And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones and you'll be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up the age-old foundations and you will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. If because of the Sabbath... You turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor it, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word. Then you will take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, and I'll feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken." How do you know if your family uh, delights in the Lord? Uh, or how do you know if a church uh, delights in the Lord? Well, your family uh, and your church uh, will delight to worship uh, the Lord. Um, imagine an upcoming marriage uh, where you believe that that uh, marriage is so important and so crucial 
uh, you're not only going to have a wedding service, um, but you're going to have uh, multiple uh, wedding services. In fact, you're going to celebrate the wedding until everything is absolutely perfect and cannot be improved upon. Again and again and again. And you've actually postponed the consummation of the marriage uh, until perfection is reached in that wedding service. And so the bride and groom come to the first service, uh, all the wedding party, parents, ushers, photographer, everybody's there. Uh, next uh, service, the photographer can't make it, but you expect you'll see him next time. Next service, uh, a few groomsmen don't show up. The next, the bridesmaids start to fall. Uh, the next, the, the bride herself is missing. And on it goes. And after a while, uh, you just cancel the wedding service altogether. Uh, but what about the marriage that uh, you were all looking forward to, eagerly anticipating and celebrating with great anticipation? Um, you gave up. Yes, this is like worship. Worship is a covenant renewal. God meets with his people. Worship here is anticipation of worship there. Uh, worship now is taste of worship then. And if we have no taste for worship now, we will not enjoy worship then. And I wonder if we think about this when we neglect the worship of God, when we neglect uh, the Lord's day, when we neglect meeting together, as the Bible says, some are in the habit of doing in the book of Hebrews. I wonder, I wonder if we think about this when we cancel uh, our worship services, because after all, no one will come. When we go to uh, Disneyland instead of worship, uh, when we teach our children that there's actually more important things in our lives than the worship of our Creator and our Redeemer. Uh, I've had it more than once, sadly, in my relatively short ministry, that I have uh, watched a father uh, actually lead his family uh, out of the worship service before the service has begun or as the service is beginning uh, because he believed that there were more important things he needed to do. And in that moment, uh, as a pastor, uh, your heart breaks and you realize that he has in a moment uh, taught his children a lesson they will never forget. That my dad doesn't really love and delight in uh, the Lord more than anything else. There's something he loves more than the Lord. When we know our church family is gathering for worship, but we're not interested in, in going, we have no desire to be there. We've lost a desire for the wedding service because we've lost the anticipation of the marriage and we've lost our love for the groom. This is why I think uh, Isaiah 58 is so important uh, for the Christian family and living today. This is why I think we, uh, we need to consider this passage. And we, uh, when we think about worship, we need to begin, I think, with the gift of the Lord's day. Now, there is a hymn in our hymnal, in the new hymnal as well, 
which if we were to bring it into line with what seems to be the feeling of some professing Christians today, uh, would have a different title than it currently does. And it would be titled instead something like this, O Day uh, of Burden and Sorrow. O Day of Burden and Sorrow. Now, you don't actually sing it that way, I know, uh, but at times it seems to be what some actually feel in their heart. It's Sunday morning and you're exhausted, children need to be dressed, uh, you're tired from the past week and a late Saturday night, you long for more sleep. Uh, imagine uh, with me for a moment that um, somehow uh, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church had the uh, ability to put a small digital recorder uh, into, your, into your mind and uh, that every Sunday morning for the past year that uh, as you've been preparing for worship, to go to worship, to meet with God's people, uh, that, um, that the OPC has been secretly recording all your thoughts. Um, <clears throat> so that's a scary thought, isn't it? But let's, let's imagine that now. And uh, now, so they recorded all your thoughts on your way to the house of God on the Lord's Day morning this past year. Now, would you want that recording to be played for your children, if you're a parent, for your parents, if you're a children, uh, for your uh, elders, for your pastor? Uh, would a pastor want his recording to be played for his congregation? Um, on the, Lord, <laughs> on the Lord's Day. Um, can you sing the great hymn uh, by Christopher Wordsworth and really mean it? It goes like this. O day of rest and gladness, O day of joy and light, O balm of care and sadness, most beautiful, most bright. Or instead, would you sympathize with billionaire Bill Gates, who was asked one time why he didn't believe in God, and he said this, just in terms of allocation of time resources. Uh, religion is not very efficient. There's a lot more I could be doing on Sunday morning. You see? I mean, it's just not, not a good use of your, your time. I mean, think about all the things you could do instead of worshiping the living God. Isaiah 58, though, seems, I think, to be in many ways a lost chapter of the Bible for the contemporary church. Verse 13 goes like this. If because of the Sabbath... You turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor it, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word. Notice what the Bible says. Then you will take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. Uh, the Sabbath is not a day of fasting, the Bible says, but a day of feasting on the good things of God, not a burden, but a delight. The word used here in Isaiah 58 for delight is uh, exquisite delight, exquisite uh, delight. Dr. Joey Piper, professor of Greenville Seminary, South Carolina, wrote this. He said, when I've taught on the beauty of the Lord's Day, I've been approached afterwards by a person who said that having been raised in a home that strictly observed the Christian Sabbath, uh, he would never submit his children to such torture. As I inquired, says Dr. Piper, about the practices of his home, I learned that Sunday observance consisted of morning and evening church services, family worship, and a list of things the children could not do. For these children, he says, Sunday was only a form of dreary punishment. Now imagine that, torture, this fellow said to, to Dr. Piper. Dreary uh, 
punishment. Now, why would anyone describe the Lord's day as a gift from God in that way? Now, I confess for myself as a youngster, uh, I understood the Lord's day to be a, uh, a negative day. It was a day uh, when the most common uh, word around our house growing up seemed to be no. Uh, you know, mom and dad, can no. Uh, uh, dad, can I, no. Um, and so, you know, that was kind of... Um, my growing up, and, and I wasn't really sure what I should be doing uh, on the Lord's day. What was there to positively do uh, and rejoice in? Uh, the holy day of the Lord, the Bible tells us, finds its origin at creation. It was practiced before the giving of the law to Israel. Remember in Exodus 16, uh, where the people are given uh, manna for six days, but not the seventh. Uh, the people were to gather enough for the Sabbath on the sixth day. It's further explained, given a redemptive focus at Mount Sinai, Deuteronomy 5.15, where rather than grounding the fourth commandment in creation, the people of God are told this, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. And so for God's people, uh, the holy day of the Lord was meant to be a day of rest, uh, from their work and their labor, and a day of celebration in the redemption of God. Now, of course, in the Old Testament, that wasn't, wasn't a full celebration, and uh, they were looking forward to uh, rest and, and uh, complete redemption in Christ, but post-resurrection, uh, our, our rest and celebration is, is, is fully accomplished in Christ, and yet it's to be fully experienced, of course, in glory. Well, what then is the purpose? What's the proper um, uh, positive thing we are to be doing uh, on the Lord's day? And it is, of course, to celebrate and remember the redemption of God, to delight ourselves in him and his grace. And friends, that means worship. This is what we confess. Westminster 21. This Sabbath is then kept holy unto the Lord when men, after a due preparing of their hearts, and ordering other common affairs beforehand, do not only observe in holy rest all the day from their own works and words and thoughts, that's right here from Isaiah, about their worldly employments and recreations, but also are taken up the whole time in the public and private exercises of his worship and in the duties of necessity and mercy. So the purpose of the day is that our hearts and minds would be filled with Delight in the ways of the Lord. In particular, Isaiah 50, 58 says, particularly, delight in the Lord himself. My holy day, the holy day of the Lord, this is what it's called, not my day, not family day, uh, the holy day of the Lord, a day set apart for God and his worship. Alec Motyer, Old Testament Bible commentator, said this, Isaiah, here in Isaiah 58, contrasts the desperate fasting of verses 2 and 3 with the joyful keeping of the Sabbath in verses 13 and 14. For in every sense, the Sabbath, knows what he says, brings us to the heart of the matter. It's a real test of heart religion to give a whole day to God and to do it with delight. Now that is a test, isn't it? <laughs> to give have a whole day to God and, and to do it with delight. Um, he says, that is a test. Uh, the Sabbath is first a call to consecrate life's timetable to God. 
to adopt a style for six days, which allows the seventh day to be a day apart. But he says verses 13 and 14 go beyond getting the timetable right. They are dominated, and you would have noticed that, by the word delight. The heart is so captivated by God that the day set apart uh, is joy. Joy. It is the symbol of a whole life and heart devoted to the Lord. A day set apart by the Lord for the Lord. It's a reminder to us that, that God is the Lord of my time and the Sabbath is a gift from God for God. A holy gift from God. Now that means, according to Isaiah 58, uh, that self-consciously we want to set aside, uh, when we are worshiping God, we're setting aside my own pleasure, my own ways, uh, and my own words, and my own work. He's the Lord of time, Lord of my time, and so the Bible calls us to keep his day holy. Now, of course, everywhere we look, the Lord's Day does not seem to be uh, anything special to anyone anymore in very many ways. For many folks, uh, the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's Day, is just another day to sleep in or to cut the lawn or to do whatever else we didn't get done on Saturday. For a lot of folks in our world, it's another day for buying and selling. Um, Nehemiah 15 or Nehemiah 13 talks about that, how um, you know, Nehemiah says to the people, listen, you're, you're buying and selling, on, bringing things in through the gates, and don't you know, he says there in Nehemiah 13, that this is, this is one of the uh, reasons that uh, we, 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 we suffered under the judgment of God, that we completely ignored uh, and are ignoring him on his holy day and treating it as if it was just another day uh, of the week. Uh, in all these things. Uh, delighting in the Sabbath doesn't mean keeping the Sabbath as a means of salvation, but it does mean, according to this passage, celebrating the Sabbath uh, as a means of grace. Notice the Bible says here that the Sabbath will only be a delight to those who find their delight in the Lord. Notice what it says. Call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable. Cease from your pleasures, your desires, your ways, and your words. Uh, then you will take delight in the Lord. There's a connection here in Isaiah 58 between someone who delights in the Lord and someone who delights in his day. When you delight in the Lord, in the things of the Lord, in the people of the Lord, in the word of the Lord, in the praise of the Lord, in the service of the Lord, in basking in the, uh, the glory and the greatness of the Lord, if you find delight and joy in that, then the Lord's day, where you are able to give yourself to His worship and His people and His service and His glory and His praise, oh boy, that's a delight to you because you delight in Him. You see? They go together, the Bible says. Delight in the Lord... That means you will delight in the Sabbath. Delighting in the Sabbath and the day he's given us means we will delight in him. Matthew Henry uh, always has lots of good things to say. He said this, The Sabbath, wrote Matthew Henry, is a sacred and divine institution, but we must, notice what he said, receive and embrace it as a privilege and a benefit, not as a task and a drudgery. Why not? 
First, says Henry, God never designed it to be an imposition upon us, and therefore we must not make it so to ourselves. Don't ever think that, that God gave us the Lord's Day or the Sabbath as somehow a burden, but that he gave it to us instead as his gift. It's a gift to us. Secondly, said Henry, God did, God did design it to be an advantage to us, and so we must make and improve it. He had some regard to our bodies in the institution, that they might rest. He had much more regard for our souls. The Sabbath was made a day of rest, only in order to its being a day of holy work, a day of communion with God, a day of praise and thanksgiving, and the rest from worldly business is therefore necessary that we may closely apply ourselves to this work and spend the whole time in it in public and private. See here, says Henry, what a good master we serve, all whose institutions are for our own benefit. That's just Henry saying, we need to remember here in Isaiah 58, when it comes to worship in the, in the Lord's church, that first of all, the Lord's day is a gift to us so that those who delight in the Lord might find delight in the gift of the day he's given to worship him, to serve him, to fellowship with his people. And, and, and what if we don't? You know, what if, what if we don't take delight actually in the Sabbath? Uh, Voltaire atheist philosopher hopefully you don't know him but you may have read about him uh good to know the enemy of our souls in many ways and how he uses others voltaire was not a friend of the christian religion atheist 18th century he boastfully predicted in his day that within a hundred years christianity would be nothing but a relic of the past but he realized, he said, that in, in order to get rid of Christianity, he'd have to get rid of Sunday first. And he said this. He said, there's no hope of destroying the Christian religion so long as the Christian Sabbath is acknowledged and kept by men as a sacred day. So if you can get rid of um, the Sabbath, the Lord's Day, if you can get God's people to stop actually worshiping, sitting under the Word of God, singing the praises of God, having that time set apart every week devoted to him and the things of God and to work on their soul and their relationship to God, said Voltaire, boy, if we can get that, and if that ends, um, then things are looking good for the downfall of Christianity. In his view, of course, the church will not fall, you see. So we can ask, well, how passionate are we about God and worship as the church in America today. Alistair Begg and Sinclair Ferguson have been speaking about this recently. You can find uh, different things on YouTube. They both say something like this. If you want to know the strength of the American church today, drive through any American town on a Lord's Day evening and, um, and see how many large church buildings with huge parking lots are completely dark for the majority of the Lord's Day. What are Christians doing? on the Lord's Day, we need to ask. What am I doing on the Lord's Day? Not the Lord's hour, but the Lord's Day set aside for him. I'm reminded of a quote by Charles Spurgeon. He was talking about our neglect times of the Word of God. I think it easily be applied to our neglect of the Lord's Day. He said Spurgeon, with many believers, the worldly ledger, the, the schedule, you know, the diary or whatever the, the agenda, is so bulky that you cannot move it. And the Bible, representing their devotion, 
is so small that you might almost put it in your coat pocket. Uh, Hours for the world, said Spurgeon. Minutes for Christ. Why is that, I wonder? In our presbytery meetings, do you know what the most often cited part of our confession that men seeking the ministry often cite as they're having a scruple about, that is, that they're not quite convinced about? Um, It's the Lord's Day. Just not sure, just not convinced uh, about what we confess. Who are Christians, who are families, who are singles, actually worshiping on the Lord's Day, His holy day? Um, And don't think we're immune in the OPC. I was talking to someone recently in our General Assembly a week or two ago uh, who was relating how in 1996 one of our ministers did an informal survey, uh, found out that about 85% of OPC congregations had two worship services on the Lord's Day. They were gathering for at least two hours on the Lord's Day. Uh, In comparison, 1996, the PCA had uh, 70% of churches Uh, Today, the OPC is now about 70% uh, who gather twice on the Lord's Day. And we can simply ask, when we worship less, is that good? Does that show more or less delight in God? That's a good question for us to ask. And uh, Isaiah 58 is calling us to sing, not O day of burden and sorrow, but O day of rest and gladness. There's another hymn in our hymnal uh, that the Christian family seems to sing out of tune from time to time. Written by Francis Havergale in 1874. Its opening stanza goes like this. Take my life and let it be consecrated Lord to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Other stanzas speak of taking my hands and my feet, my voice, my lips, my silver, gold, intellect, will, heart, love, self, And uh, the hymn uses words like always, only, ever, and all, all for the Lord. You know that hymn? Now, when Isaiah 58, of course, talks about taking delight in the Lord, that delight is not limited to the Christian Sabbath. It's not limited to the Lord's Day. That delight in the Lord is to be extended throughout the life of the Christian. How do we know that? Well, our our temptation, of course, uh, is to limit and reduce our worship and devotion of God to Sunday. And we're tempted to sing this, Take my Sunday uh, and let the rest be. Uh, One day for God, the rest is for me. Right? That's kind of what our temptation is. One day for God, uh, the rest is for me. Now Isaiah helps us out there too, because you may recall here that at the beginning of Isaiah 58, um, uh, we read about how the people are actually uh, seeking God, and they seem to be seeking God. In fact, verse 2 of Isaiah 58 says, Yet they seek me, Day by day, the delight to know my ways, and in fact, they are found fasting, and uh, they call out to God in verse 3, why have we fasted and you haven't seen? Why have we humbled ourselves and you've not noticed? It's as if they're, they're speaking to God and say, listen, we are performing all these acts of worship, but we, uh, you're, you're just not taking notice of us. And did you notice how the Lord answers them when they say, listen, we've been performing all sorts of religious acts of worship, um, but, you, but we're no nearer to you, it seems. And do you remember how God answers? He says this in verse 6. Is this not the fast which I choose? In other words, this is what pleases me. To loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke. Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry? Bring the homeless poor into the house. 
when you see the naked, to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your light will break out like the dawn, and your recovery will speedily bring forth, and your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your regard. Simply to say, if you read that passage carefully, and we don't have time to look at it more carefully just now, uh, but Isaiah is saying, you know, you, uh, you, you give the appearance of wanting to be near God in your acts of worship, but did you notice that the rest of your life um, you're living for, for yourself. You're actually oppressing people. You're exploiting people during the week. Uh, you don't care for the poor. You don't feed the hungry. And yet you, uh, and yet you fast. Well, the Lord says, I- I'm concerned about, 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 about your whole life and how you are living for me, not just your acts of devotion, uh, but your life, our whole life to be lived for him. And we'll, pre- we'll press on. There's another hymn that we sometimes sing out of tune in the church when it comes to worship and service of the Lord. We've been talking about worship of the Lord, the gift of the Lord's day, our call to delight ourselves in him and in all of life, uh, but also there's a call to service, and we want to talk about that too. There is this difficult idea that all of us need to face as professing Christians that other people have not been put on this planet to serve me and to rotate around me, to focus on me, uh, to keep their eyes on me, but that actually uh, I am here to serve others in the name of and for the sake of Christ. Worship and service in the church. There's a hymn, it goes like this. Ye servants of God, your master proclaim and publish abroad his wonderful name, the name all victorious of Jesus extol. His kingdom is glorious and rules over all. Now our temptation, of course, is to sing this a little out of tune and others hear us singing this. Ye servants of self, your greatness proclaim and publish abroad my wonderful name, my kingdom is glorious and rules over all. And uh, that's our temptation. Whether it is uh, posting all my accomplishments on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, or what have you, for all the world to see and admire. Or thinking that being a part of the church is all about what I can get out of the fellowship. Get out of the programs, get out of the sermon, uh, get out of the lunch, get out of the, uh, the contacts I make with other people. We're in danger, friends, of losing sight of our calling to be servants of the servant. David uh, Platt, uh, um, best-selling author uh, these days, wrote a, a really good book uh, called Counterculture. And he said this, the Bible diagnoses the human condition simply by saying that we have all turned aside to ourselves. The essence of what the Bible calls sin is the exaltation of self. God has designed us to put him first in our lives, others next, and ourselves last. Yet sin reverses that order. We put ourselves first, others next, many times in an attempt to use them for ourselves. And God somewhere, if anywhere, in the distant background. We turn from worshiping God to worshiping self. Now, we probably wouldn't put it this way, he says, but most people don't publicly confess, I worship myself. Uh, But as John Stott points out, it doesn't take long as we look at our lives and listen to our language for the truth to become evident. 
Our dictionary contains hundreds of words that start with self. Self-esteem, self-confidence, self-advertisement, self-gratification, self-glorification, self-motivation, self-pity, self-applause, self-centeredness, self-indulgence, self-righteousness, on and on. We've created a host of terms to express the extent of our preoccupation with ourselves. Now, this isn't new, of course. Uh, we're going to turn to one more passage uh, in our brief time left. And so if you turn with me uh, to Mark chapter 10, just real briefly here to end our time this morning. So think about service in the church. Mark chapter 10, uh, and of course this uh, wonderfully instructive passage uh, about James and John. And you'll remember this passage so well as they come uh, to Jesus and they ask him, what do you want me to do uh, for, or what um, Jesus, they come to Jesus to ask, telling him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you, verse 35. And Jesus said to them, verse 36, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant that we may sit in your glory, one on your right, one on your left. But Jesus said to them, You don't know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We're able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you shall drink, and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized. But to sit on my right or on my left, this is not mine to give. But it's for those for whom it's been prepared. And hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John. And calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. But it's not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, diakonos. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave doulos of all for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many don't you love this passage of scripture um well maybe you don't love actually we don't there's, there's parts of it we don't love <laughs> but what a scene right what a scene and you might be thinking of john f kennedy or something right and saying uh you know, ask not what your country can do for uh, you but what you can do for your country and you're thinking like what are they doing here coming to Jesus, almost demanding that he uh, serve them and asking that they uh, be with him in his glory. And Jesus, listen, I was just talking to you about the, the verses before. Jesus just talking about his suffering and his death and where he's going. But all they could see was, I, yeah, I want to be near Jesus and I want to be in his glory. I want to I have the, the best seats in the house. I want other people uh, to be able, uh, James and John, I want other disciples to look up at us and say, Jesus really loves them. Right? We want to be right there. We want to have the admiration. And, and Jesus simply says, listen, among the Gentiles, folks who don't know me, love me, um, yeah, that's, that's how things work. But not so with you. Not so with you. This past uh, week, last week, um, uh, our family, my wife and I, we went to a few sessions from a homeschooling convention down in Ontario. There's a lady there named Kathy Coach who's uh, written a book called Screens and Teens, and she has a ministry called Celebrate Kids, and, um, and she was very helpful. She, she was talking about how uh, our teens, young people, children growing up today, have, they believe all sorts of lies about themselves 
namely, uh, information is all they need. They don't need any teachers. They can just go to Siri or Alexa or Google or Wikipedia. They don't need a, a mentor or anything like that. They've got all the information they need. They're their own authority. They must have choices. They deserve to be happy all the time. But she said this, the number one lie that a lot of our teens believe, our youth believe is, uh, I am the center uh, of my own universe. But we'd say, well, well, I guess that's not really teens, is it? That's all of us. I mean, that's the lie that all of us believe, that I am the center of the universe. And here's the thing she said that I thought was very helpful. She said, when that happens, um, you only look at other people. Not as uh, people to be served, but you only look at other people as in, okay, are they going to acknowledge that I'm the center of the universe? Are they going to give me the attention that I need and that I crave? And if they don't, I don't, I don't want any part of them. They're of no use to me. And what she said, what happens is, if you get a whole culture that's thinking that way, I'm the center of the universe, and everyone's here to please me, it's not true. But it also makes our youth, and it makes you, and it makes me very lonely because as soon as we find out no, one is, no one's actually here circling around us, we withdraw further and further and further into ourselves, and, uh, and we're all very alone, and we can be alone in our families, and uh, a father can be on his phone while the mother is shopping online, and the daughter has got her earphones in, and the and the, and, the, and the son's listening to music or something like that. All in the same room. But you see, all very much uh, alone, thinking that everything's kind of meant to be around them. And the Bible says, Jesus says, listen, it's not about being served. And, you know, James and John probably thought this is not what we were expecting. This doesn't sound good at all. Uh, being a servant of, of people and being a slave of all, we want... We're looking for glory, and uh, they might well have said to Jesus, boy, that sounds good. Wouldn't it be great if everybody in the OPC um, you know, saw themselves as a servant, a slave of all? Didn't matter uh, what church they were from. Didn't matter what they looked like. Didn't matter what they, how they dress. Uh, didn't matter um, you know, where they grew up. Didn't matter what denomination they were from. Didn't matter what seminary they went to. Simply... Uh, slave of, of all, and, and they might have said to Jesus, wouldn't that be great, but that's just ridiculous. And then, <laughs> and then Jesus says, well, I'll show you where it starts. And it starts with me. And he says, for even the Son of Man, that's me, says Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Isn't that great? Because we're sitting here this morning, we think, well, how can that be? You know, delighting in the Lord, worship and devotion, and then in serving the Lord in the church, not waiting for others to do stuff for me, but me looking to see how I can serve someone else. Maybe someone I've never talked to before. Go and serve them and, and go and help a child. Go teach a, teach a class of children and, and just serve them. You know, maybe I'm not good with children, but I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to be their servant, and I'm going to teach them about Jesus, and what a joy that will, that will be. I'll serve in the kitchen, and I'll serve in the nursery, and what, what, what can I do to be a blessing to others? Because it's not about me. Wouldn't that be great? And Jesus says, all you have to do to look for inspiration, and can this be, uh, all you have to do is look to the cross and look to the Savior, you see. He of all people 
right? Should have been served by all. But he says, even I came not to be served, but to serve. To serve who? To serve you. <laughs> to serve me. To be my servant. To wash my feet. That I might be saved, you see. And, um, and he says to his disciples, this is what it's like for a Christian living. Uh, I'll end with this. George Mueller, uh, you know, I think, very well, the story of George Mueller over the course of his lifetime would oversee the care of 100,000 orphans in 19th century England, never solicited funds for his homes. Uh, the Lord provided for that ministry. And uh, in all of that, he was captivated, he was captured by this desire to, by his own testimony, to serve the Lord, to be a servant of all, to be a servant of the least. And uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones observed this uh, about George Mueller. He said this, A statement which the great George Mueller once made about himself seems to illustrate this very clearly. That is, our call to worship the Lord, delight in, but to serve him. He writes like this, said Mueller, There was a day when I died, utterly died, died to George Mueller and his opinions, preferences, tastes, and will, died to the world, its approval or censure, died to the approval or blame of even my brethren and friends. See what he's saying there? Died to myself. Died to the approval of others. Even of my friends, George Miller says, uh, nothing of their approval meant anything to me anymore. And then he said this, since then, I have studied only to show myself, you know what's coming, approved unto God. Right? Isn't that great? Die to self, approved unto God. May that be so for how we worship and serve in Christ's church. No more of me, uh, but much more of the Lord. May that be true in our, in our churches. Let's pray together as God's people. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, how we um, pray that you would work in us by your spirit, delight in your worship, that you would work in us uh, the, the way of the master, uh, that we would not seek to be served, but that you would be the center of our universe. And dear Lord, that we would be servants and slaves of all uh, for your glory, for the good of your church and kingdom. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.